Volume 2, Chapter 17 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, A Legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 2, Chapter 17. By the Apostle Paul, shadows tonight have struck more terror to the soul of Richard than can be the substance of ten thousand soldiers. Richard III. The consultation that now took place was between the principal laymen. The connection which the church had so long maintained with supernatural agencies, determined Emic, who was jealous of its again obtaining its lost ascendancy in that country, to exclude the officiating priests altogether from the decision he was about to take. Were we to say that the Count of Hartenburg gave full faith to the rumors concerning the spirit of his late forester, having been seen engaged in the chase as when in the flesh, we should probably not do entire credit to his intelligence and habits of thinking. But were we to say that he was altogether free from superstition and alarm on this difficult point, we should attribute to him a degree of philosophy and a mental independence which in that age was the property only of the learned and reflecting, and not always even of them. Astrology, in particular, had taken strong hold of the imaginations of those who even pretended to general science. And when the mind once admits of theories of a character so little in accordance with homely reason, it opens the avenues to a multitude of collateral weaknesses of the same nature, which seem to follow as the necessary corollaries of the main proposition. The necessity of a prompt solution of the question was admitted by all of those whom the Count consulted. Many had begun to whisper that the extraordinary visitation was a consequence of the sacrilege, and that it was hopeless to expect peace or exemption from supernatural plagues until the Benedictines were restored to their abbey and their former rites. Though Emic felt convinced that this idea came originally from the monks, through some of their secret and paid agents, he saw no manner of defeating it so effectually as that of demonstrating the fallacy of the rumor. In our time, and in this land, a weapon that was forged by a miracle would be apt to become useless of itself. But in the other hemisphere, there still exist entire countries that are yet partially governed by agents of this description. At the period of the tale, the public mind was so uninstructed and dependent that the very men who were most interested in defeating the popular delirium of the hour had great difficulty in overcoming their own doubts. It has been seen that Emic, though much disposed to throw off the dominion of the church, so far clung to his ancient prejudices as secretly to distrust the very power he was about to defy, and to entertain grave scruples not only to the policy, but of the lawfulness of the step his ambition had urged him to adopt. In this manner does man become the instrument of the various passions and motives that beset him, now yielding or now struggling to resist, as a stronger inducement is presented to his mind, always professing to be governed by reason and constrained by principles, while in truth he rarely consents to consult the one or to respect the other until both are offered through the direct medium of some engrossing interest that requires an immediate and active attention. Then indeed his faculties become suddenly enlightened and he eagerly presses into his service every argument that offers the plausible as well as the sound. And thus it happens that we frequently see whole communities making a moral pirouette in a breath, adopting this year a set of principles that are quite in opposition to all they had ever before professed. Fortunately, all that is thus gained on sound principles is apt to continue, since whatever may be the waywardness of those who profess them, principles themselves are immutable, 
and when fairly admitted are not easily dispossessed by the bastard doctrines of expediency and error. These changes are gradual as respect those avant couriers of thought who prepare the way for the advance of nations, but who, in general, so far precede their contemporaries as to be utterly out of view of the effectual moment of the Reformation or Revolution, or by whatever name these sudden somersets are styled. But as respects the mass, they often occur by the coup de main, an entire people awakening, as it were, by magic, to the virtues of a new set of maxims. Much as the eye turns from the view of one scenic representation to that of its successor. Our object in this tale is to represent society under its ordinary faces, in the act of passing from the influence of one set of governing principles to that of another. Had our efforts been confined to the workings of a single and a mastermind, the picture, however true as regards the individual, would have been false in reference to a community, since such a study would have been no more than following out the deductions of philosophy and reason, something the worse, perhaps for its connection with humanity, whereas he that would represent the world or any material portion of the world must draw the passions and the more vulgar interests in the boldest colors, and be content with portraying the intellectual part in a very subdued background. We know not that any will be disposed to make the reflection that our labors are intended to suggest, and without which they will scarcely be useful. But, while we admit the imperfection of what has been done here, we feel satisfied that he who does consider it coolly and in candor will be disposed to allow that our picture is sufficiently true for its object. We have written in vain, should it now be necessary to dwell on the nature of the misgivings that harassed the minds of the Count and Heinrich as they descended the hill of Limburg at the head of the new procession. Policy and the determination to secure advantages that had been so dearly obtained urged them on, while doubt and all the progeny of ancient prejudices contributed to their distrust. The people advanced much in the same order as that in which they had ascended to the ruins of the abbey. The pilgrims were in front, followed closely by the parochial priests and their choirs, while the rest succeed in an eager, trembling, curious, and devout crowd. Religious change existed, as yet rather in doctrine and among the few than in the practices of the many, and all the rites, it will be remembered, were those usually observed by the Church of Rome on an occasion of exorcism or of an especial supplication to be released from the mysterious display of heaven's displeasure. The Count and Heinrich, as became their stations, walked boldly in advance, for whatever might have been the extent and nature of their distrust, it was wisely and successfully concealed from all but themselves, even the worthy Burgomaster entertained a respectful opinion of the noble's firmness, and the latter much wondering at a man of Heinrich's education and habits of life being able to show a resolution that he thought more properly belonged to philosophy. They passed up towards the plain of the Heidenmauer, by the hollow way that has already been twice mentioned in these pages, once in the introduction and again as the path by which Ulrich descended on her way to the abbey on the night of its destruction. Until near the summit, nothing occurred to create new uneasiness, and as the choristers increased the depth of their chant, the leaders began to feel a vague hope of escaping from farther interruption. As the moments passed, the Count breathed freer, and he already fancied that he had proved to the Heidenmauer to be a spot as harmless as any other in the Palatinate. "'You have often pricked courser over this wild common of the devil, noble and fearless Count,' said Heinrich, when they drew near the margin of the superior plain. "'One so accustomed to its view is not easily troubled by the cries and vagaries of a leash of uneasy dogs, though they might be kenneled beneath the shade of the Tufelstein.' "'Thou mayest well say often, good Heinrich, when but an urchin, my excellent father was wont to train his chargers on this height, and it was often my pleasure to be of the party. Then our hunts frequently drove the deer from the cover of the chases to this open ground. 
The Count paused, for a swift pattering rush like that of the feet of hounds beating the ground was audible just above their heads, though the edge of the mountain still kept the face of the level ground from being seen. Spite of their resolution, the two leaders came to a dead halt, a delay which those in the rear were compelled to imitate. "'The common hath its tenants, Herr Frey,' said Emmett gravely, but in a tone of a man resolute to struggle for his rights. "'It will soon be seen if they are disposed to admit the sovereignty of their feudal lord.' Without waiting for an answer, the Count, spite of himself, muttered an ave, and mounted with sturdy limbs to the summit. The first glance was rapid, uneasy, and distrustful, but nothing rewarded the look. The naked rock of the Tufelstein lay in the ancient bed, where it had probably been left by some revolution of the Earth's crust three thousand years before. Gray, solitary, and weather-worn as at this hour, the grassy common had not a hoof or foot over the whole of its surface, and the cedars of the deserted camp sighed in the breeze, as usual, dark, melancholy, and suited to the traditions which had given them interest. "'Here is nothing,' said the Count, drawing a heavy breath, which he would fain ascribe to the difficulty of the ascent. "'Herr von Hartenberg, God is here, as he among the hills we have lately quitted, on that fair and wide plain below, and in thy hold. Prithee, good Ulrich, we will of this another time. We touch now on the destruction of a silly legend and of some recent alarms.' At a wave of his hand, the procession proceeded, taking the direction of the ancient gateway of the camp the choir renewing its chant and the same leaders always in advance. It is not necessary to say that the Heidenmauer was approached on this solemn occasion with beating hearts. No man of reflection and proper feeling can ever visit a spot like this without fancying a picture that is fraught with pleasing melancholy. The certainty that he has before his eyes the remains of a work raised by the hands of beings who existed so many centuries before him in that great chain of events which unites the past with the present, and that his feet tread earth that has been trodden equally by the Roman and the Hun, is sufficient of itself to raise a train of thought allied to the wonderful and grand. But to these certain and natural sensations was now added a dread of omnipotence and the apprehension of instantly witnessing some supernatural effect. Not a word was uttered until Emic and the Burgomaster turned to pass the pile of stones which marked the position of the ancient wall by means of the gateway already named when the former encouraged by the tranquillity again spoke the ear is often a treacherous companion friend burgomaster he said and like the tongue unless duly watched may lead to misunderstandings no doubt we both thought at the moment that we heard the feet of hounds beating the earth as on a hunt thou now seest by means of one sense that the other hath served us false but we approach the end of our little pilgrimage and we will halt while i speak the people in explanation of our opinions and intentions heinrich gave the signal and the choir ceased its chant while the crowd drew near to listen the count both saw and felt that he touched the real crisis in the furtherance of his own views as opposed to those of the brotherhood and he determined by a severe effort not only to overcome his enemies but himself in this mood he spoke ye are here my honest friends and vassals he commenced both as the faithful who respect the usefulness of the altar when rightly served and as men who are disposed to see and judge for themselves this camp as ye witness by its remains was once occupied by armed bands of warriors who in their day fought and fortified suffered and were happy bled and died 
conquered or were vanquished, much as we see these who carry arms in our own time perform these several acts or submit to these several misfortunes. The report that their spirits frequent the spot is as likely to be true as that the spirits of all who have fallen with arms in their hands remain near the earth that hath swallowed their blood, a belief that would leave no place in our fair palatinate without its ghostly tenant. As for this late alarm concerning my forester, poor Burkhold Hintermeyer, it is the less probable of the character of the youth who well knew when living the disrelish I have felt for all such tales and my particular desire to banish them altogether from the Jägerthal, as well as from his known modesty and dutiful obedience. You see plainly that here are no dogs. Emic met with a startling contradiction. Just as his tongue, which was getting fluent in the impunity that had so far attended his declarations, uttered the latter word, the long-drawn cries of hounds were heard. Fifty strong German exclamations escaped the crowd, which waved like a troubled sea. The sounds came from among the trees in the very center of the dreaded Heidenmauer and seemed only the more unearthly from rising beneath that gloomy canopy of cedars. Let us go on, cried the Count, excited nearly to madness and seizing the handle of his sword with iron grasp. Tis but a hound. Some miscreant hath loosened the dogs from his leash, and he scents the footsteps of his late master, who had the habit of visiting the holy hermit that dwelt here of late. Hush, interrupted Lockchin, advancing hurriedly and with a wild eye from the throng of females. God is about to reveal his power for some great end. I know, I know that footstep. She was fearfully interrupted, for while speaking the hounds rushed out of the grove in the swift mad manner common to the animal, and made a rapid circuit around the form of the dazzled and giddy woman. In the next moment a tottering wall gave way to the powerful leap of a human foot, and Lockchin lay senseless on the bosom of her son. We draw a veil before the sudden fear, the general surprise, the tears, the delight, and the more regulated joy of the next hour. At the end of that period the scene had altogether changed. The chant was ended. The order of the procession was forgotten, and a burning curiosity had taken place of all sensations of superstitious dread. But the authority of Emic had driven the crowd back upon the common of the Tufelstein, where it was compelled to content itself for the moment with conjectures and with tales of similar sudden changes from the incarnate to the carnate that were reputed to have taken place in the eventful history of the borders of the Rhine. The principal group of actors had retired a little within the covers of the cedars, where, favored by the walls and the trees, they remained unseen from without. Young Burkhold was seated on a fragment of fallen wall, supporting his still half-incredulous mother in his arms, a position which he had received the Count's peremptory but kind orders to occupy. Meta was kneeling before Lockchin, whose hand she held in her own, though the bright eye and glowing face of the girl followed with undisguised and ungenuous interest, every glance and movement of the countenance of the youth. The emotions of that hour were too powerful for concealment, and had there been any secret concerning her sentiments, surprise and the sudden burst of feeling that was its consequence would have wrung it from her heart. Ulrich kneeled too, supporting the head of her friend, but smiling and happy. The Knight of Rhodes, the Abbe, Heinrich and the smith paced back and forth, as sentinels to keep the curious at a distance, though occasionally stopping to catch sentences of the discourse. Emic leaned on his sword, rejoicing that his apprehensions were groundless, and we should do injustice to his rude but not ungenerous feelings. Did we not say glad to find that Burkhold was still in the flesh? When we add that the dogs played their frisky gambols around the crowd on the common, which could hardly yet believe in their earthly character, our picture is finished. The deserving of this world may be divided into two great classes, the actively and the passively good. 
Ulrich belonged to the former, for though she felt as strongly as most, an instinctive rectitude rarely failed to suggest some affirmative duty for every crisis that arrived. It was she, then, and we here beg to tell the reader plainly, she is our heroine, that gave such a direction to the discourse as was most likely to explain what was unknown, without harassing anew feelings that had been so long and so sorely tried. "'And thou art now absolved from thy vow, Burkhold?' she asked after one of those short interruptions in which the exquisite happiness of such a meeting was best expressed by silent sympathy. "'The Benedictines have no longer any claim to thy silence?' They set the return of the pilgrims as their own period, and, as I first learned the agreeable tidings by seeing you all in the procession, I had called in the hounds who were scouring the chase, and was about to hurry down to present myself when I met you all at the gateway of the camp. Our meeting would have taken place in the valley, but that duty required me to visit the Herr Otto von Ritterstein. The Herr von Ritterstein? exclaimed Ulrich, turning pale. What of my ancient comrade, the Herr Otto boy? demanded Emich. This is the first we have heard of him since the night the abbey fell. I have told my tale badly, returned Burkhold, laughing and blushing, for he was neither too old nor too practiced to blush, since I have forgotten to name the Herr Odo. Thou told us of a companion, rejoined the mother, glancing a look at Ulrich and raising herself from the support of her son, instinctively alive to her friend's embarrassment, but thou called him merely a religious. I should have said the holy hermit, whom all now know to be the Baron von Ritterstein. When obliged to fly from the falling roof, I met the Herr Odo kneeling before an altar, and recalling the form of one who had shown me much favor, it was he that I dragged with me to the crypt. I surely spoke of our wounds and helplessness. True, but without naming thy companion. It was Herr Odo. Heaven be praised. When the monks found us on the following day, unable to resist and weakened with hunger and loss of blood, we were secretly removed together, as ye have heard, and cared for in a manner to restore us both in good time to our strength and to the use of our limbs. Why the Benedictines chose to keep a secret I know not, but this silly tale of the supernatural huntsmen and of dogs loosened from their leash would seem to prove that they had hopes of still working on the superstition of the country. Wilhelm of Venlu had not to do with this, exclaimed Emich, who had been musing deeply. The underlings have continued the game after it was abandoned by their betters. This may be so, my good lord, for I thought Father Bonifacius more than disposed to let us depart. But we were kept until the matters of the compensation and of the pilgrimage were settled. They found us easy abettors in their plot, if plot to work upon the fears of Durkheim was in their policy. For when they pledged their faith that my two mothers and dearest Meta had been let into the secret of our safety, I felt no extraordinary haste to quit leeches so skillful and so likely to make a speedy cure of our hurts. And did Bonifacius affirm this lie? I say not the abbot, my lord count, but most certainly the brothers Kuno and Siegfried said all this and more, the malediction of a wronged son and of a most foully treated mother. His mouth was stopped by the hand of Meta. "'We will forgive past sorrow for the present joy,' murmured the weeping girl. The angry and flushed brow of Burkhold grew more calm, and the discourse continued in a gentler strain. Emic now walked away to join the burgomaster, and together they endeavored to penetrate the motives which had led the monks to practice their deception. In the possession of so effectual a key, the solution of the problem was not difficult. The meeting of Bonifacius and the Count at Einzenden had been maturely planned, and the uncertain state of the public mind in the valley and town was encouraged, as so much make weight in the final settlement of the convent's claims. For in that age the men of the cloisters knew well how to turn every weakness of humanity to good purpose, so far as their own interests were concerned. End of Volume 2, Chapter 17 Read by Joel Kendrick